Welcome and thanks for joining us again for this week's episode of Wild Wild What the Facts, the podcast where three friends talk about the crazy, surprising, and hilarious things that happen in history. I'm Lauren. And I'm Jared. And we're introducing Alex. Yay! We have a third member. Surprise! Woo! Thanks for joining us, buddy. We really appreciate it. And absolutely. Yeah, we're excited. Me he too. is going to Me be too. kind of our producer. By kind of, I mean he's going to be our new producer. <laughs> and director, technical and, director, yeah. all that fun stuff. <laughs> Hopefully helping us get our ish together. <laughs> right. Yes. And editing so Jared doesn't have to, and I don't have to yell at Jared. And it's, yeah. You know, I'll just so yell everyone, at Alex. We just have an all-around better time. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Alex, who gets yelled at all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we would never yell at you, Alex. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we've been friends for a while. Um, I've known Alex as long as I've known Jared. I don't know. If, did you guys know each other? Yeah, I'm sure you guys yeah, know each Alex other. Yeah, Alex and I know oh, yeah. each other for a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have we talked about your band? No. Oh, was I not? Was that a secret? <laughs> no, not not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, how, how dare you spill that secret? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, what what the factors? If you want to listen to me sing and Alex shred on guitar and scream, uh, we are called Lost July. You can look us up on any major streaming, yeah. Spotify, Apple. Apple Music. Yeah, you know, iHeartRadio. We're on everything. Apple yeah. likes to merge us with other artists that are similarly named, and we're not <laughs> merged with the, the other Lost July band right now. But there is this random song that just does not belong. So yeah. if you go on there and see a random song, if you like it, great. But it's not us. Oh, I didn't know anything about that. That's hilarious. Yeah, it, it's it's, it's very clear that it's it's not from oh, yeah. our EP. Yeah. But anywho. Yeah. So Alex uh, is a guitarist, and Jared sings. They're pretty good. I um am their not groupie because that's weird. But <laughs> I go to their concerts every once in a while. <laughs> That they haven't had in a long time because Jared moved away and Alex moved away. And then Alex COVID. moved back. Yeah, now there's a pandemic. You know, I, I, there, there might be some, some reunions in 2021. Fingers crossed. So. Yeah, I, I want it to happen. I miss it. So Yes. Last time I saw Alex is when I was getting him a dog. So We still okay. have her. Yeah. Good. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he didn't fun, throw it away. <laughs> fun news. She learned she could climb the fence now. So oh, there's that. That's oh, fun. Snap. Yeah, I fostered a dog and then bullied Alex and his wife into adopting her. Yeah, I was just thinking about this. Every time I talk to you about something, I end up uh, involved in a new task. This is true. You're never going <laughs> to text me ever again. When, when you text me, I'm like, hey, do you want a dog? Hey, do you want to be the producer of our podcast? I'm going to text you next week and you'll be like, I can't talk. I'm on my way to Reno. I'm like, what are you doing in <laughs> Reno? I got to pick up a package from the train station for Slater. Oh, yeah. People, uh, I'm also known as Slater. That... Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> that was just going to be very confusing. I 
my maiden name is Slater, so Google me, I guess. You won't find anything exciting, except for there is a weird psychiatrist writer that is named Lauren Slater. Anyway. Are, are you the weird psychiatrist? I could be. Dun, dun, dun. When we all worked together at a restaurant that I won't name, there were many Laurens, so I was known as Slater, and it's just kind of stuck around. So stories, I think we're we're talking about some planes, trains, and automobile stories. Yes, planes, trains, automobiles. Well, that's the theme. We might not cover all three. We will cover two of them. Oh, snap. Because I know you told me kind of what you're covering. Well, you told me the name of what you're covering. And I am covering planes. A plane. Not multiple planes, just one plane. So my story today is about a pretty cool lady. Of course, it's a lady because it's me. Uh, <laughs> her name is Bessie Coleman. I, I love her already. That's a strong American name right there. It is a strong American name. You're going to like her even more. I already know. <laughs> Bessie Coleman was born Elizabeth Coleman, January 26, 1892, in Atlanta, Texas. Did you know there was an Atlanta, Texas? No, but that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Texas is a big place. Didn't surprise me too much either, but not Georgia, Texas. She was the 10th of 13 children. Her parents were George and Susan Coleman, and her father was a Cherokee Native American, and her mother was Black. Okay. Well, oh, yeah. She was two years old when her family moved to a place in Texas that I cannot pronounce. I should have looked it up. Waxahachie? Yep. Yeah, it's Waxahachie. Oh, I knew Alex could tell me. Little (laughs) Texas roots. And they were sharecroppers. Of course they were. Of course they were, because it was 1892. Or 1894, because she was two years old. And they were poor, because they were sharecroppers. And she didn't start Mm -hmm. school until she was around six. And they said that she loved to read and she was great at math, but her school was a four mile walk away from her house. She had to walk that by herself. I guess I'm sure her siblings, she had a lot of them walked with her, but her her school was at this segregated schoolhouse. So that pretty much means it was a one room shack in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. And sometimes they didn't even have, like, paper to write on or pencils to use because 1894, segregation. Sounds about right. Yeah. Her parents, as sharecroppers, would harvest cotton. At this time, the black schools were let out early because their kids were expected to help them harvest cotton. (laughs) Because even though slavery was illegal... Cotton was still really big in the South. And I'm sure they didn't get paid quite as much money as they should have for all of that. No, no, no. There was a man that was lynched in Oklahoma because of probably something that wasn't true. I didn't get too deep into the story. So this was around that time and lynchings were happening all over Texas. There was a lot of segregation, of course, even though the Civil War was over and all of that. This was in the middle of Jim Crow South or the beginning of the Jim Crow South and was not good if you were not white in the South, as you could imagine. Her father moved back to Oklahoma into, quote unquote, Indian territory. 
in around 1902, but none of the kids or Bessie's mom went with him. So he just kind of like abandoned their family. That's not good. Yeah, he was trying to escape discrimination, but you think he'd like want his family to as well? You'd think. <laughs> yeah, you know, nobody really listed why nobody went with him. She stayed in Texas and so did to the rest of her family. And so when she was 12, she received a scholarship to attend a Baptist school, like a private school, which I'm assuming she graduated from because when she was 18, she applied and was accepted into Oklahoma Colored Agriculture and Normal University in Langston, Oklahoma, which is now known as Langston University. Ah. Much easier to say. Yeah, way easier. <laughs> um, and, but she was only able to attend there for one term because she couldn't afford the tuition. And she had to go back to her mom. And she was really, really bummed about that because she wanted to make something of herself. She had big dreams, big goals, everything. And she had to go back and help with like the cotton harvesting and do odd jobs like laundry and all that stuff to save money. And she hated that, like absolutely hated it. So when she was 23, she moved to Chicago with two of her brothers they were hoping to find more opportunities, leave discrimination behind. Of course, it was still the early 1900s. So even though it was north, there was still some discrimination, especially for women. But in 1915, she began going to a, a school for to become a manicurist. She went to Burnham School of Beauty and Culture. And she began working in a barbershop. I know you're looking at me like, how does any of this have to do with planes? <laughs> yeah, I'm like waiting for it. I'm like, there's, there's, it's yes. coming. But this didn't fulfill her life goals and dreams, right? She wanted to make something awesome of herself, but she was making money and she was doing okay. And while she was doing that, her brothers were in World War I and they went to France. And while they were in France, they saw all the cool things going on in Europe, that women were allowed to do things, even black women were allowed to do things. They were allowed to be pilots. They were like all this stuff. So they came back from the war and were, were telling Bessie all about this, right? I was like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me they could do things? <laughs> uh, yes, things. I'm sure wink things as well. But John, her brother, came back and was just like, going off about how awesome French women were and how American women would never live up to those standards. Who knows what exactly he meant by that. But one <laughs> of the things he specifically mentioned was flying planes. Very cool. And so Bessie was like, I am going to fly. And her brother pretty much told her it would never happen because she's not French. And she pretty much looked at him and was like, that's it. You just called it for me. I'm doing this. <laughs> Hold my beard. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And so she started to apply to all sorts of flight schools across the U.S., but she was black and a woman. Yay, patriarchy and racism. <laughs> so they wouldn't accept her into any of the schools. And because you can't be a woman and black and want to better yourself or do cool things because this is 1915. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 2021. Also that. Uh, yeah. But in 2021, they could maybe become a pilot. No, if, they can definitely become a pilot. If they have a wide enough name, right? <laughs> I guess uh, so. <laughs> by 1918, only a few women in, the, women in the U.S. had learned to fly anyway. 
And all of them were very wealthy and very, very white. That makes sense. Very white. So Bessie continued working at the barbershop and apparently at a chili parlor. Have you ever heard what that is? No. I feel like this was probably, we should have known this. It was probably in our beginning training of (laughs) the said restaurant that we all worked at because a chili parlor was apparently a restaurant that specializes in Cincinnati chili and related dishes such as cheese conies. Thanks, Google, for the information. I mean, that sounds fantastic. I yeah. didn't even know there was Cincinnati chili. I didn't right. either until I Googled what a chili parlor was. But I have like a vague fever dream, probably, memory of starting at the restaurant we all worked at and them talking about how it started out as like a chili cook-off thing. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, I wonder if this was the birth of that lovely franchise we all worked at for way too long but um, Mm -hmm. anyway so she was dreaming about flying while she was doing all this and while she was at her barbershop she met a man named robert abbott which i don't know if either of you know who he is nope alex is shaking his head no too he was uh one of like the first black millionaires in the u.s we're gonna have we're gonna have to cover him he sounds really really cool but when she saw him at the barbershop, he was he heard of her wanting to fly in her dreams and pretty much was like, woman, if you want to go to France and fly so badly, just go to France, right? <laughs> I'm sure those were his exact quote, whatever. <laughs> if and, the movie is ever made, yes. please make those the exact words. <laughs> woman, go to France, dang it. I'm uh, on the screenplay now. <laughs> <laughs> so she started taking night classes to learn French because she couldn't apply for any of the French schools unless she could speak it because the applications were in French. So Sounds in 1920, right. she emptied all of her savings and got a little help from Mr. Abbott and she moved to France and she started school at Codron Brothers School of Aviation in Le Cretoy, Crotoy, France. I should really look these things up. <laughs> and she was the token black person in her class. Yep. Of course. She was taught to fly in a 27-foot biplane. And this is terrifying. Apparently, these planes would just fail. <laughs> like, they were known to just fail mid-flight. And she saw fellow students in her class literally just fall to their death. Like, in plane crashes, while she was in school learning to fly these planes. That really was not that uncommon until, like, fairly recently that planes would just eh, stop working. I (laughs) hate that. Um, (laughs) Like, little planes or just big planes? They would just stop working? Like, tell me more, Alex. I mean, I I don't remember all the details, but I do know that, like, until... I mean, modern aviation, like, commercial flying is... Obviously, it's, like, the safest way to travel now. Yeah. But it was kind of like you think about train travel is not actually that safe. It never was. It, uh, they would drive off the tracks every now and then just because they were going too fast. Yep, airplanes, too. Were, airplanes were kind of the same way. Uh, well, you know, we, we made this airplane out of wood, so we'll see how well this lasts. Oh, right. I don't think Alex has listened to our other episode where I talk about planes because that lady made hers out of bamboo and sheets. So I, it, that's, she that's what they were made of, right? 
the one of the one of the most popular commercial airplanes of all time in the I think it was the fifties was completely made of wood. Oh. The whole frame. And that is terrifying. Yeah, I I mean hate you that. have to make them as light as possible. But. Yeah. Mm. That's fun. So yeah, luckily she wasn't one of those students who died in school because she was able to graduate. And she was the first American woman to receive her international pilot's license. Very cool. And I'm sure she was the first black American woman as well because, you know. Yeah. She went on to further get training in stunt flying and parachuting before she returned to the U.S. in September of 1921. In my notes, I definitely wrote 2021. Not the same. (laughs) Um, Very different. She re- when she returned to the U.S., apparently, like news reporters flooded where she was and like were reporting all over about her. And the Air Service News noted that Coleman had become the full-fledged aviatrix, the first of her race, which was a big honor at the time. And then she was invited to be a guest of honor at the all-black musical Shuffle Along, which I've okay. never heard of. Nope. How have I not heard of this? We're both musical nerds. Yeah, I've never heard of it either. It's probably because it's an all-black musical. Yeah, and it's not The Wiz, so... And you grew up in Utah, and I grew up in suburban Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. we Very white area. So that's that's probably why. Fair (laughs) enough. We'll have to look it up. I'm sure it's great. The entire audience, apparently, at this musical, like which was several hundreds of white people, pretty much, stood up and gave her a standing ovation, which is kind of cool because they were so excited about her being the first black American pilot. I mean, justifiably so. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And she wanted to become a commercial pilot, but patriarchy and racism ruining the party again. She couldn't get any jobs doing that and her only options were pretty much stunt flying or barnstorming which is pretty much just like a traveling stunt flying show they would go around and do cool stunts she was known for doing like loop-de-loops and making the figure eight in her airplane that was like her signature and she did her first stunt flying show on september 3rd 1922 in Garden City, Long Island. And there was the first air show that was ever put on by a black woman in the U.S. And the Chicago Defender publicized the event saying that the wonderful little woman, Bessie Coleman, would do heart-thrilling stunts. Which sounds very patronizing, but (laughs) she was a wonderful little woman doing Uh, crazy stunts. Apparently, it's not funny, but it's it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's a little funny. According to a reporter in Kansas, like three thousand people, including local dignitaries, showed up to this event, and she became pretty much famous. Like everybody knew her as this flying stunt woman. She was she was great. So she used her position of like power, quote unquote, to kind of encourage other black people to fly. 
and she wanted them to become pilots. She Her biggest dream was to own a plane and open her own flight school. So she would go around and give speeches and showed films of her tricks in like churches and theaters and schools to earn like money all around. And she refused to speak anywhere that was segregated or discriminated against Blacks. Straight nice. up. Wouldn't Good for go. her. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. She also refused to perform anyway, anywhere that wouldn't admit Black members or Black people in there. She refused. Like, if there was one point she went back to Texas to put on a show. And because Texas was still majorly segregated, they were trying to put two separate entrances for her fans to come into the stadium. And she was like, nope, everybody goes in the same gate or I'm not coming. That's awesome. Yeah. And there was like a lot of back and forth about it, apparently. And finally, they're like, fine, we'll have one gate, but they have to sit separately in the stadium. (laughs) So she compromised a little bit and was like, okay, fine. But she became very famous for standing up for her beliefs and making like fighting for black rights before the civil rights movement. So that's pretty cool. Nice. And a lot of people like justifiably so would probably get what they got and keep it you know yeah that's very cool that she yeah so she worked her butt off to get where she was and she wasn't gonna stop is pretty much she was like nope we're gonna end this if i can kind of thing right Uh, she was only two years into her career as a stunt flyer and then she crashed her plane and uh, once again the engine just stopped working while she was (laughs) flying and she crashed and she broke her leg a few ribs and tore up her face Luckily, that was all of her injuries, and so she only had to take a little bit off to recover, but she immediately started putting shows on again after she recovered and started saving up money to work for that school that she wanted to open. She eventually saved up enough money to buy her own airplane and only took a few years to get there. This airplane was a Jenny JN4 with an Ox 5 engine, which I have no idea what that means, but no, sounds cool. Do I. We'll, we'll we'll find pictures of it and tweet it and yeah gram it. She unfortunately never got to reach her goal of opening that school because, and I'm not sure if it's the same plane I just mentioned or if it's another one, but she had purchased a plane from somewhere in Jacksonville, Florida, and a man named William Willis was flying it to Dallas to help her prepare for this air show she was going to do and everything. And on the way there, he had to stop the plane three times because it had been so poorly maintained from whoever she bought it from. And mm-hmm. so he had to like force land, emergency land it three times. And so he got to Dallas and Bessie's friends and family were like, hey, maybe don't fly this plane. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Sounds unsafe. And she was like, hey, let's try it and see what happens. He, this guy's a mechanic. He's worked on it. I'm sure it's fine. On April 30th, 1926, she took it out for a test flight with Willis flying it. So she was just the passenger. Mm-hmm. About 10 minutes into that flight, they got to about 3,000 feet in the air and a loose wrench, which I don't know why there was a loose wrench just floating around, just got stuck in the engine. Mm. So the aircraft just like stopped and it somehow he wasn't able to control the steering wheel anymore and the plane flipped over. Ugh. If you've ever seen a plane from the 1920s, they were like convertible style. Like they had no overhead protection. It was just open yeah. air open fl- cockpit. Yeah, your hair flowing in the wind kind of thing. 
And Bessie, unfortunately, was not wearing a seatbelt and was thrown from the plane when it flipped over. And she fell 3,000 feet to her death. That's terrible. Yeah. And Willis crashed the air, like the plane just a few feet from her. And he also died in the crash. And she was only 34 years old when this happened. Yikes. Yeah. And that sounds absolutely terrifying. I hope there wasn't a lot of people to see it. Yeah, right. Because, oh, that would be awful. There wasn't a ton of media coverage about her death, and the news, but the news spread really quickly anyway, because people mm-hmm. knew who she was, and people were, were like, she's the best. Everybody was very, very sad about her death. She had about 10,000 people come to her funeral. They all filed past her co- coffin in like the south side of Chicago. There was a lot of prominent Black leaders and like civil rights movement people and so like ida b wells was preside like presided over her funeral and yeah so and she was somebody who was very or they were someone who's very outspoken about equal rights Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of cool that was a big turnout especially for like a black woman at the time Mm -hmm. big deal and she was has been like not very well known because I didn't know who she was. You hear about Amelia Earhart, you hear like all these things, but you don't hear about Bessie Coleman, which she seems right. That's kind that's, of big. It's a shame. Yeah, so a lot of like black historians and reporters say that she's never really been recognized for her accomplishments. In the Dallas Express, it says there is a reason to believe that the general public did not completely sense the size of her contribution to this achievement of race as such. So like. It's a big deal, and we should definitely know more about her. Yep, Once seriously, again, our and all the, uh, the screenwriters that don't listen to us here is like some prime, <laughs> yeah, intellectual property. This is a great story. Yeah, there's a lot of people who have covered, like a lot of. There's a few podcasts. There's a Audible, like 20 minute podcast thing that I kind of listen to about it, and they're all very interesting. And I wish she was more well known. Seriously. <laughs> She, in 1931, black pilots from Chicago organized like an annual fly over her grave and it became a tradition for several years. In 1977, a group of black women pilots established the Bessie Coleman Aviators Club. Nice. And in 1992, Chicago City Council requested that she be made into a stamp and she was. So there's this, in 1992, they made a Bessie Coleman stamp which I'm sure is hard to find now and is probably worth a lot to stamp collectors. Seriously. Yeah. I I did not Google how much it was worth. I should have. I failed that. Failed. And she's, there's like a lot of things that she, there's a scholarship in her name. There's a couple schools named after her, like that an airport named after her. Well, no, what is it? Yeah, part of the airport is named after her in Chicago. Like she's pretty well like known in the aviation world, but she definitely should be more well known everywhere else. And that's right. Right. My story. That's well, cool. Bessie Coleman. See, you always bring these really cool inspirational people that we've never heard of. And then I always just talk about the underbelly of society. This is true. At least it's not Nazis this time. Yeah, definitely not Nazis, but they do. You're moving up. Some- <laughs> some uh some clan stuff in there 
So um, one of my favorite not, not genres. really moving up. Yeah, not, <laughs> not, moving, not up moving up. White supremacy. The funny part is, of the three of us, there's only one of us that's not white. Oh, I'm half. Hmm. That's halfway, fair. Halfway there. I'm, I'm my own thing. <laughs> Society's in between. Nobody wants me. That's fair. Uh, but anywho, <laughs> my, my story today is on trains. And just kind of hearkening back to one of my favorite periods and one of my favorite genres, and that's just that of the Western. And, you know, just the thought of the action and the drama and the parody is just very unique. Um, and it's very unique to America. So, yeah. Are, are y'all Western fans? Uh, no. I mean, I lived in Tucson, Arizona for a while, which isn't that far from like Tombstone and that kind of stuff. So I have been to all of those things. But, but not not a aficionado. Yeah. As a child, I was. I grew up in Texas, so you know, <laughs> we had a we had a Western day at school that we all wore. That's rad. Boots and hats and our <laughs> our jeans and our button ups and stuff. So yeah. There you go. We had a not rodeo my, not day. Not my proudest. Oh, we had right. those too. <laughs> the Which rodeo was big in Texas too. It's weird. We had a rodeo well, day off of school in Arizona, but not in Utah what you think but hmm. yeah anyway i also kind anyway. of cool old west i have a cool story um my great grandfather okay. was in like southern utah in like st george utah and went went and stayed at a hotel in like when he was a little kid like 10 i think so this was early early 1900s he might have been in his mm -hmm. teens and in that time apparently especially in the west hotels would just like let like oh we have we have a bed that fits two people so if you're sleeping in your bed like that you could have some stranger get in bed with you in the middle of the night because they would just like sell it by bed space that's weird and he was asleep and somebody got into the bed with him while he was asleep like a child and in the morning he found out that it was jesse james like some crazy oh, well, outlaw that's... or something. It may not have been Jesse James, but like, oh. yeah, some outlaw yeah. got into bed with him as a child. So that's my Western story. There you go. That that Spooned reminds me. By an outlaw. That reminds me. My stepdad is related to Jesse James. Oh, bam! Just distantly. So that brings it all around there. Big circle. And I grew up in Kansas City, and that's where they operated. Yay! So. Circle. Ish. Not quite. Not quite Kansas City, but. We're all connected. But anywho, so like the Western trope, I really love train robberies. Okay. I just love the whole imagery of the plume of black smoke rising from the train engine in the distance in the countryside of the Midwest. And you have like the bandits perched <laughs> on the hill just waiting for it to come around. And then they get their moment. And then they just like are breakneck speed on their <laughs> horses. And then they jump from their horses to the train. And then they go through and rob all the people. And then they go and just demand some poor sap to open a train in the back or open a safe in the back or whatnot in the money car and then they jump off their horses and ride into the sun i just i love it love <laughs> it love it love it see so, i imagine westerns is more like stagecoach robberies than train robberies that's fair enough and i think the stagecoaches happen probably a lot more often than train yeah. robberies did. <laughs> Because as you're going to hear, I have three real train robbery stories. They, they were kind of insane. 
So all right, let's go for it. Let's hear it. Well, and, and while my description was fun and awesome and stuff, like there's a lot of it that's you know fabricated and romanticized. Namely, uh, despite the fact that older trains did move really, really, really slowly compared to you know trains of the even near future compared to then. Attempting to leap from a moving horse onto a moving train would probably <laughs> result in a very dead bandit. So yeah, the horse jumping folks did not happen. Dang. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. But in reality, the train heist would involve bandits usually going after payroll transfers. They would, like the description, shake down passengers also just in an attempt to get as much money as they possibly could. Oftentimes, they would end up at a safe and they would talk some poor guy into opening the safe for them it's usually how it happened and then notable train robbers include jesse james butch cassidy the dalton gang and bill downing and so now i'm just going to briefly go into a few of these uh crazy train robberies which are fun which i i honestly could have done like 30 of them because they're so much fun but i capped it at three so we'll have to do a follow-up planes trains and automobiles episode so got it talk about more train robberies maybe i'll talk about automobiles could be trains trains and trains 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 and trains trains first what we're going to talk about is the first train robbery in the west oh so jesse james's adair iowa robbery is often falsely credited as being the first train robbery in the west and if you go to adair iowa which i don't know why you would go to iowa let alone a place called adair (laughs) Sorry, Iowans, I'm not sorry. Uh, my family's from Ottumwa. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but that monument says, you know, first real train robbery in the West, and it's a lie. A lie. In I'm actuality, fair. right, the, the gall. Rude. For a small community to try to cash in on a cool historical event. Yeah. Darn How them. Stupid. Anyway, uh, in actuality, the first train robbery happened on November 5th of 1870 near Reno, Nevada. Okay. So, a Central Pacific train was boarded by a nondescript gang. Everything I read, it wouldn't tell who they were, so they weren't very important, I guess. And this gang was tipped off that the train was carrying $60,000 worth of gold. And so I didn't do the transfer, but the context of the story made it seem like it was $60,000 money, which is a lot of money today. Googling that... So let us know. 1870. Keep talking on Google. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, the the gang ganged access to the train and ordered the engineer to separate the cars. And then they led the engineer to the express car, which is where the money and the safes were located. What's up? 60,000 in 1870 is worth $1.193 million today. So this was a good haul. Yeah, it's a lot. While we're at it, Google 41,187. They ended up leading the engineer to the express car where the expressman was greeted by the bandits and all of their solid-off shotguns. And in this train car, they found $41,000 worth of gold coins. Do you have a number yet? It says $1.888 million, but I feel like that's really close to the last number, so I'm going to keep looking. I mean, it's not that far off. It's only a difference of 19000 I'm seeing uh, seven hundred ninety-five thousand. Okay, that sounds right too. So, went a little bit over a million is what they thought. A little bit under a million is what they got. 
in today's money. And then in addition to this, they actually accidentally left an extra 23,000 in gold and silver. And then there's also piles of bank drafts on the train that they left behind as well. And then kind of to put this into perspective of money at that time. So they made off with $41,000 in gold, an acre of land at the time was five bucks. So this was a lot of money. Yeah, that's quite a bit. So these, (laughs) these trailblazing robbers were actually very quickly apprehended and executed before they had time to even spend a cent of the money that they stole while they did execute the first successful train robbery they weren't very successful in life (laughs) so that was the very first train robbery in the west like america so side note an acre of land would be if we still had the same price would be 99 dollars and 42 cents today it's not but that's a steal i'd buy some land right now yeah right seriously but yeah now I'm going to talk about the would-be first train robbery of the West, and this is actually Jesse James's first train robbery, and it happened, as I said earlier, in Adair, Iowa in 1873. So specifically on July 21st, 1873, between nine and seven members of the James Younger Gang made the first attempt to stop and rob a moving train. So before the robbery, uh, James dispensed his brother Frank and then his cousin, well, their cousin Cole Younger, uh, to Omaha to get the shipment schedule for the train. So as the previous robbers, they were going after money and gold. And then fun side note, so another fun personal story, I have a connection to Cole Younger in that my uh, great-grandfather, his very first car ride was with Cole Younger. Jesse James has dead eyes. Yeah, he was a sociopath. Yeah. Anywho, Jesse and the rest of the gang remain camped near Adair during this recon portion of the mission where Frank and, and Cole went to Omaha. And then once they got the information they needed regarding the shipments, uh, the gang removed some spikes in the train track near a curve. And then they went to go hide as the train approached, hoping this would slow down the train. The train actually ended up derailing because physics and then ended up in a creek. Both the engineer and the fireman were killed, and then many passengers were obviously injured because of a derailed train. Not many people walk away from that. I had imagine. Yeah. And then as a proverbial middle finger to President Grant in his attempt to crack down on the Klan, they hooded up for this caper. So they were wearing their they weren't wearing robes, but they were wearing the the cone. Oh, the dunce, the dunce that kind of hooded up. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it said that the safe, when it was open, there was only $2,000, which, you know, wasn't much to go through all this trouble for. Apparently, the gold had been delayed. And then uh, between that $2,000 and what they got from the passengers, they walked out with just a little around 3000 they successfully made it back to Missouri and then they all scattered and the governor ended up putting a $10,000 reward on, which they didn't end up getting got for a while. So it was said too, by the way, that the James younger gang wouldn't steal from anyone with calloused hands as they didn't want to steal from a working class people. Got it. But on the train, 
the only person that they broke this rule for happened to be carrying $400 cash. So, Oh, so it was a convenience thing. It was a convenience thing. Also, side note, $3,000 in today's money is $59,000. Never mind. That's quite a bit of money. <laughs> quite a bit of money. Not saying it's derailing train money, but it's, it's, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a good amount. Next and finally, we're going to talk about the Wilcox robbery, which took place in 1899. So on June 2nd of 1899, the Wild Bunch gang had a blast during their final train robbery. Just a so you know, a literal blast or just oh, a just blast. just you wait. Oh. I'll feed you. I'll feed you, baby bird. Oh, perfect, perfect. And so, just to give you some context, the Wild Bunch had Butch Cassidy and Sundance on it. Oh, many many movies, fun tales with these two. In the early morning, the train was flagged down by two of the men of the gang with warning lights, and they were granted access to the train. Later, the rest of the gang overtook the train and they ordered the second half of the train to be disconnected because it had its own engine on it. Okay. Later, after the first engine passed over a small bridge, they blew up that bridge to prevent <laughs> to prevent that train from falling. Sorry, I'm just thinking about this and it's hilarious. <laughs> so and That's terrifying. very like old Western movie style. Yeah, no, it gets better. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. So they they gained access in that in that first portion of the train to the mail car using dynamite. As yeah. you're going to see, a literal blast. Story. Got it. Yeah, and uh, they didn't really find anything of worth there, so they started to make their way towards the express car, where the messenger refused to give them access. Oh, but who needs permission when when you have a fistful of dynamite? Yeah, and your Butch Cassidy. So they blew. In your Butch Cassidy, right. And you only have so much time to get on and get off this train. Yeah. So the men blew the door to the express car open. And explosions, I don't know if you know this, are very disorienting on multiple levels. Yeah, I'd imagine. And so the express car messenger guy was stunned by the explosion and unable to relay the combination to the safe <laughs> to the wild bunch. But they had a solution. <laughs> uh, blow it up. Did they blow it up? They blew it up. Yeah. They blew it up. Yeah, you, you, you called it. Uh, uh, they just blew the safe up <laughs> <laughs> with more dynamite. <laughs> and for this one, they used such an excessive amount that the entire car was destroyed. <laughs> Did the money just like float in the air? Like, I, I'd imagine, but somehow they ended up leaving with $50,000 well, worth of stuff. They probably, and, do they have paper they money? Smashed, it was probably mostly metal. Yeah, so if there's coins, they could have knocked somebody out with that crap. Like, they, like... Oh, yeah. I mean, you're making just grape shot with this. But yeah, they, they stashed some horses nearby and they, they completely got away. That's awesome. Like, I don't know how their hearing was. I bet yeah. they all had tinnitus after yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely needed a speech therapist afterwards and an audiologist. <laughs> Which certainly was available at the time, right? Yeah, it definitely, definitely was. But whoever, whoever's idea it was to bring the dynamite definitely got the, uh, the star for the day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, had, I had a lot of fun learning about that that's, one. That is funny. <laughs> it might have actually, yeah, that's, 
Those are my trains. My train story story. about my great grandpa might have been Butch Cassidy because Butch Cassidy was from Southern Utah, so maybe. Well, and that makes more sense. Yeah, I don't think Jesse James ever made it that far west. Yeah, it's probably Butch Cassidy because he was from that that area. Well. Wow, blowing up trains. Falling out of airplanes. Falling out of airplanes. That's what we do. But yeah, we'll we'll do a second part to that at some point. I'll talk about some more train robberies because. There are some wacky ones. I mean, Wasn't you can Butch- you can imagine all these guys wanting to one up each other too. Yeah, wouldn't Butch? Wasn't Butch Cassidy kind of known as like being nice? Like he was an outlaw, but he was like kind of nice to people. I too. think they all were fairly cordial until they were. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Butch Cassidy. There's a story I was listening to on another podcast recently where like. A girl, she was like 10 and she was in charge of her siblings because her mom went to like the store in the 1800s. So she had to like go on a trek to get groceries, not groceries, get supplies. Mm-hmm. And Butch Cassidy, I think, came, it was one of the outlaws, I think it was Butch Cassidy, came into the house and like was going to rob it. And like the kids were hiding under the bed, trying not to be found. And then the baby woke up. And so like Butch Cassidy, like, Oh, like looked under the bed and saw them and like winked at her. And then they like put the house back together and the money was left on the table and nothing happened to the kids. And like, everybody just left. Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of, well, I know the Newton brothers wouldn't rob women or kids. Could have been them. There was a lot of honor among thieves kind of, robin hood stuff going on back then so maybe it was them that the story was about but yeah but anywho folks those were our our fun plane and train stories we'll have to mix an automobile next i tried i really tried butch cassidy yeah he doesn't have dead eyes like jesse james if you want to see a creepy looking dude look up cole younger Cole Younger, Google. Dude, that gave my great grandpapa a ride in his car. Oh, yeah, he's something else. Yeah, he's a little scary. He has like Richard Fish eyes. Yeah. Did a lot of bad things, that Cole Younger. Yeah, I don't like him. But anyway. Got it. (laughs) Cool. thanks uh, Thanks for listening this week, folks. Yeah. It was great hanging out and introducing you to our new buddy, Alex. And so if you want to send us your stories about how your ancestors might have slept in the same bed as a outlaw, you can send us an email at wildwildwhattf at gmail.com. If you want to see... What? I was just going to say, you might get some interesting stories there, because I think outlaws... I slept in beds with many people. Yeah, actually. Hey, we're, we're ready for the those. weird stories. We will read them. Like, send all of those stories. I would love that. Yeah, the, the weirder they are, I mean, as long yeah. as they're true and verifiable-ish. Yeah, ish. Or, like, <laughs> my great-great-grandfather told my great-grandfather the story. That's decent enough. I'll take it. Right. Um, <laughs> if you want to see some pictures of these people we talked about today and some cool planes and trains exploding you can do that on it at instagram at wild wild what tf podcast if you want to tweet at us and tell us some cool facts in 150 characters or less that is wild wild what tf at twitter and thanks for listening you guys are great hopefully we 
we're cool this week or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right, have a folks. great week, everyone. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.